So what I actually, the quest was framed as was, I would like to pay you to feed me. And I thought, brilliant, this is, this is brilliant. And I could probably even eat some food there too. Surely that's allowed. So I thought I'd get paid to feed someone, but it wasn't actual food. They basically wanted me to poo in their mouth. And oh. then when I kind of respectfully declined, said, no, it's not really my thing. I, you know, I'm going to have to decline. That interestingly, the offer went from, <laughs> okay, how about a foot massage? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> and I just thought, why didn't you start there? <laughs> Dating can be a total minefield. Trust me, I'm a love coach. But it doesn't have to be. I'm Lucy Cavendish and I'm the later data. I'm single in my 50s. I've got kids and I'm busy, but I really want to go out and meet people and find out all about dating. But it's moved on since I was in my 20s. And I'm keen to know what else is out there and what are other ways of doing things. From Aura Studios, this is Later Data, a podcast for the curious, exploring everything across the dating spectrum, from online to up close and very personal. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about escorts. Why might someone pay to use the services of an escort? And what services does an escort offer? And do escorts face stigma for what they do? I'm really interested in this topic because I think it's something that we very rarely talk about. We all know about men going and paying for sex. What we don't really ever talk about is women and what women might want. And do women go and pay for sex and male attention? And they obviously do because we have Sebastian today, who's an escort, who's going to tell us all about it. As a love coach, I have actually uh, sometimes suggested to clients that they may think about uh, contacting a male escort because maybe they would like some attention and they'd like some great sex. Uh, so I'm really interested to see what Sebastian says about that. My preconception is that um, it's something I might well think about. Actually, I have thought about it and I have occasionally browsed websites, <laughs> but so far haven't actually pressed, you know, send on a message. Today, I'm talking to Sebastian Wright, who works as a male escort and a hands-on sex educator. Hello, Sebastian. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So, um, you have two different roles. Could you tell me how you got into this line of work to begin with? Yeah, so I've been, I've been working now as an escort for, it's got to be heading on for six years now. Um, so my background is actually in, in design and sort of sales. So I graduated with a product design degree and, and design is what I wanted to work in initially. So I'm, an, I'm naturally quite inquisitive and curious by nature, but I found that actually what was happening is after graduation, I was doing what every postgrad did and was working for free for lots of companies, but actually was finding that for the brands that I really wanted to work with, the best approach was perhaps to try and get my foot in the door. So I was working in sales jobs, um, gradually essentially progressing my way up the sales ladder and was finding that I was having less and less time to commit to my own design work in my spare time. And it was just making me fall out of love with it because you know you, you spend a lot of time in a job that you really don't like. So actually what happened was I left my last sales job and uh, I, I decided I really needed to find a way of, of having the time and the desire to commit to my design work as I intended to. 
And my friend at the time that I was living with said to me, have you thought of, you know, just one of those random things, have you thought of trying escorting? Because the thing is, I was already kind of exploring, I, I, I use the term loosely, the scene, you know, I was out there exploring my sexuality, I was meeting with couples, I was meeting with um, single women and just kind of getting a bit of a feel for, you know, what, what was really possible, I suppose. So it was kind of a good idea in a way. And I uh, I decided I would dive into it, thought I've got nothing to lose. It's just an extension of my curiosity and I was kind of already doing a bit of exploration in my spare time. And that was essentially, as I say, nearly six years ago and I haven't looked back. I think what started to happen actually is as I was meeting more and more women, I was starting to hear of a number of different kinds of experiences. I mean, many, many different experiences, but that actually seemed to be a running a running theme, which I would say was that women weren't really having the kinds of experiences they wanted or that they deserved. Now, whether that's a case of having unfulfilling sexual experiences or whether that's a case of um, something a severe sexual assault. So I kind of really realized there was actually an opportunity to do something. And, and I feel like I was already quite a good listener and, and I kind of really, really appreciated having the opportunity to hear those stories. And from that point, I kind of tried to find a way of seeing if I could expand my work. Um, and from then on, um, about it must have been about 19 months or so ago now, I started collaborating with therapists um, where what I was basically uh, starting to do was provide a, a platform for women to explore their sexuality and, and to help them work through some of their challenges, whether it's, as I say, anxiety, uh, overcoming sexual trauma, whatever it may be. And it's been an absolutely fantastic opportunity. And essentially, that's part of the story that's led me to you. When you started out, did you have any idea what would happen? I mean, are there some women that hire you, as it were, and, and then just want to talk to you? Or uh, do you find that women can be about open about what they want? Let's say they've had some sexual trauma. Can they, do they tell you about that? How, how do you work with, with women who've had those experiences? So how I work now would be, first of all, there's a period, if you like, of consultation um, in the sense that I need to get a bit of an idea of what those experiences are and how they've impacted the client that I'm, I'm talking to because I need to assess whether I personally feel that I'm um, equipped enough to be able to support them. So part of that will help me get an idea of their background and their experience and as I say how that has materialized in their you know our paths crossing if you like and I'll be able to ascertain whether I need the support of a therapist where it will be kind of a triadic relationship or whether it's actually a case of, you know, if it's, oh, they're just inexperienced, but they don't really have any anxiety or any particular trauma around their sexuality. They may have been, for example, um, brought up in a religious family where they've basically been prevented from fully exploring their sexuality. And in that particular situation, it's about providing a supportive framework for them to safely explore their sexuality. You were saying that before you got into this work, you were experimenting with your own sexuality. What was happening for you? So I discovered the joys of, what was the name of that website? Fab Swingers and Field. And you know, these apps that were popping up. Uh, I think when I discovered Fab Swingers, I actually this is an interesting thing because my perception of what swinging was was very much oh that's something that the older couples do and I was I was really surprised I mean obviously it's wrong because I was on that website so there's at least one person <laughs> on there myself that you know wasn't an older couple um, and I was just really surprised by how wrong I was you know people of all couples all backgrounds it was so broad and varied and that really inspired me to continue to to sort of seek what was possible out there so I was meeting with single women um, exploring with them and, and some of those interactions were about trying to find somebody trusting that 
both of us could explore, you know, sex parties and, and, and things like that. And what was your perception of escorting before you got into it? It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's lots of things that you look at where, you know, there's stereotypes and cliches, I suppose. But there seems to be something that's very prominent with the field of sex and sexuality. And, and I guess part of the narrative there is that it prevents people from exploring. And the stereotype for me in my perception of escorting was, you know, super suave, super ripped, super good looking guy and I thought with my hairy little chest and this face I don't think oh you do yourself down Sebastian (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's fine I am what I am so I thought you know what uh, not only the way the way I'm gonna have to be able to do it is going to be the way that I'd want to do it in the sense that I have to be able to attract clients who are interested in me as my individual merits because I don't want to put on a sales pitch. I don't want to put on a front. I don't want to do any of that stuff. I certainly don't want to be writing on my profile. I can fulfill your every possible wish and desire because I know that's not true. I really know that's not true. So, you know, when I met my first client, it was really humbling in the sense that she did a great job of hiding her uh, her nervousness. She did a fantastic job. And it was only towards the end that she revealed uh, that she was quite nervous. And I, yeah, I was nervous too. I was really nervous because I think when I first arrived initially, my expectations or my perceptions of what being an escort was were not smashed straight away because I went to this really nice house. She was just really beautiful woman, um, piano, you know, in a doorway. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> my heart rate went up. I was like, if, if I'm not what she expects, but... But on the plus side, she'd obviously seen that I wasn't, you know, Mr. Muscle. So, you know, I was in there somewhere and, and it was completely wrong. And, and it kind of was an obvious realization that, well, actually, there are many different women in the world with many different needs and their expectations, of course, are broad and varied. So that's going to likely be the case with with my experience or at least, you know, there's going to be different kinds of experiences and, and different reasons that when women will be contacting escorts and uh, I left there absolutely buzzing and thought you know what I think I could actually do this because interestingly as well perhaps is the fact that when I signed up to the websites that I signed up to I pretty much got calls straight away and I, I was like right okay this must be a bit of a hoax because it was kind of instantaneous and, and it must have been two or three weeks before I actually, so I had a few conversations and it must have been two or three weeks before I decided, okay, I think, that, you know, I'm going to go and meet this particular person. And that part of that was the building a rapport piece, which of course benefits both myself and, and the clients I meet, which I still do to this day. So yeah, it's quite interesting that I was like, now this must be a con. It would be so easy to con people out there because of course, you know, lots of men would want to be a male escort and love the idea of, loosely speaking, getting paid for sex as it's quite often painted. That was all six years ago, nearly six years ago. And and, and my journey, uh, if you like, has evolved. And that has been informed by the experiences that women have shared with me and continues to drive me forwards today. I have clients as a love coach who, you know, who I have suggested at times think about maybe going to a male escort to get their confidence back, to understand their sexuality, to have a really lovely experience with a man. They find this a very difficult concept. Um, Do you find that women struggle with the idea of, as you've just said, basically paying for sex? Although I know it doesn't just have to be about the sex, but have you found that women really struggle with that? Yes, I think so. I've actually had that conversation a number of times where it's kind of part of the conversation piece before meeting on a number it hasn't happened a lot I'll admit but I'm sure it happens more than I've experienced even Um, but part of that conversation is around the barrier or the perception of 
I guess almost feeling some guilt, feeling some unworthiness that they have to pay for sex. It's this idea of having to pay for sex. And it's, it's definitely really interesting what you say about, about your clients because I really, really wanted to ask about your experience of working with, the I guess, the kinds of clients that I work with. And because obviously there's a crossover and sometimes those paths don't necessarily cross. I think there's definitely a bit of a taboo around it. And I think the issue is, is that the access that people have to this line of work is very, very limited because many escorts don't want to talk about their work. Uh, and this is actually a particularly case of female escorts. It's much, much, much more taboo. It's not generally accepted in spite of the fact it is um, a legitimate line of work that brings benefit to, to many, many people. And I, I guess the cliches as they're painted in the media is, is all that people have access to. I mean, in the early days, I did, I did newspaper articles, I did um, magazines. I was very careful, was kind of careful with limited experience about where and how I exposed myself. That's probably not the right phrasing for that. But, <laughs> but um, these kinds of, uh, I guess, tabloids, if you like, were about trying to tell the story of... It was either about how cool it was to be a male escort you know, I guess with the the lens of potentially trying to, and that's a sales pitch for a male audience, um, or it's about um, trying to break down the taboos, which I suppose to some extent, I suppose there's a little bit of it being oriented around a female audience, but maybe still a bit, little bit more of a male audience there. So it was kind of very, very limited and, and is also heavily oriented around sex, which of course is only a small part of the picture because actually even when the relationship, if you like, between myself and a client is largely about sex, it's so much deeper than that. And that's the point that's missed. It's like, so women just, women pay for sex. It's like, yeah, but think about it. There's more than that. <laughs> it's, it's paying to avoid dating apps where they have to deal with unsolicited images or, or transaction. It's, it's, it's getting away from the other shit. Don't just focus on this aspect that's right here, right now, the sex. What, what's on the periphery that they're avoiding? Because that's part of the conversation that needs to be had as well, I think. So what do you think is being avoided? What, what's the bigger picture? Well, if we talk, for example, about the example of clients where, you know, a client that I'm working with at the moment where she's been in a loving relationship and it was the only relationship she's been in her whole life, but the sex, so she had had sex outside of that relationship, but the sex that she was having within that relationship was very much oriented around her partner's needs. This negatively impacted her perception of her self-worth. She began to feel as though she wasn't worthy of pleasure. And these things have a radiating effect because they, they don't just impact people's sex lives. You know, I always say that sexuality has the capacity to empower or disempower. You know, your life and your sex life can impact each other, either positively or negatively. I guess there's an opportunity there to help women reestablish their self-worth or uh, their sexual power, if you like. Um, so rather than it just being about a transaction, about paying for sex, there's, I mean, they could pay for sex and, and just have ordinary, the, the kind of sex that they've already been having. But that's not, that's, not what they're, that's not what they're coming to escorts for or what they're, not what they're coming to me for. It's about uh, trying to find a different kind of experience and reestablish or rediscover that feeling of self-worth, uh, feeling valued, feeling seen, feeling that um, sexual experiences isn't just a one-way uh, arrangement that fulfills one person's needs, usually not theirs. <laughs> Does it get into 
a tricky situation. I mean, is part of it that let's say someone's self worth is very low around themselves, around their around sex, around how they feel about their bodies, and you come and you come in and and, and make them feel great. It's part of the problem that they feel you're only doing that because they've paid you. So he doesn't really mean it. You know, he's only here because I've paid him. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, yeah, exactly. If somebody's feeling that they aren't worthy of pleasure and is questioning themselves or may have low self-esteem, it's it's sometimes very difficult to compliment people in that particular situation because it's, they kind of question the validity of those compliments, for example, but I do my best to try and assure them that the compliments are things that I genuinely see. I'm not putting on a front. Um, this is, again, why I try to sort of paint the best and clearest and most accurate picture of myself in my profile because I want people to contact me for who I authentically am rather than this image that I've tried to paint for the sake of attracting clients. It's, it's also about noticing things that sometimes are obvious but they may not see and things that their friends would probably see too. Um, you know, like if somebody has a particular particularly negative perception of their body just reminding them that there are all different kinds of body types and it's a little bit of an a thing that comes up quite often actually when we talk about um how women perceive what they consider to be a normal vulva um and and the lack of understanding around the fact that there's such a huge diversity and and uh, asymmetry is is more common than symmetry and and that's something that kind of saddens me a little bit that that's so common but you know it's one of many many myths that kind of prevent women from really experiencing the full potential of their pleasure and do you ever get up in the morning and think god i just don't feel like doing this today i mean how do you make sure that you're always sort of i can't think i want to say up for it but that's <laughs> not sure if that's quite the right terminology well, yeah sort of is but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean what if you go i mean let's look let's be honest what if you go on a date and the and the, and the woman sort of you know there isn't anything there for you i mean how do you manage that Let's say if you didn't like somebody or they were sort of racist or homophobic. I mean, what if you kind of meet someone and think, oh my goodness, I really don't have anything in common with this person? I think that's a great, great question. The racist or homophobic thing. I mean, I'm sure every human being has been in a situation where you've been getting on with someone and then they reveal their trump card and you're like, oh, there's a catch. You're racist. Yeah. Well, that would be a situation where... Yes, it's a good question, actually. And that would kind of be a situation where I'd have to express my limits and my boundaries. And there'd have to be a a conversation around the fact that I don't have any interest in hearing those kinds of views. And if that we are going to continue, that kind of rhetoric is to be kept, kept to themselves, as long as they weren't behaving in a way, you know, if they're running up to people in the bloody restaurant shouting racist abuse or homophobic abuse and all that kind of stuff. That's well, that's worse beyond most people's boundaries. That's the end (laughs) that's I'm going home and having an early night (laughs) so do you see your clients on a continual basis is this sort of one night stand land or is this every week what are we talking about yeah I mean it it really really varies I'd say once a month is regular uh, but I do have clients that I meet twice a month sometimes three times a month and of course there are clients that I literally only meet just the once so that's yeah that's typically how that tends to work and that varies you know I have periods where I'm really really busy and then times where it's really really quiet I think with the the clients that I'm actually coaching for them again it depends on what it is that they're looking to learn but I tend to recommend 
no more than once a week, sometimes once a fortnight, because actually what happens with that work, as well as providing the coaching and supporting them in a, on a one-to-one basis, I usually provide them with tools and, and I give them homework, basically, <laughs> for want of a better description. So they need time to integrate what they've learned and expand on that learning. Um, and there's a number of tools that I provide to support them with that. And then, of course, then they bring that learning back to the next time we meet and we pick things up from there. So usually it's a maximum of once a week. And how do you keep your own personal romantic life separately? Because actually seeing someone three times a month, we're getting into relationship territory. You may even, I'm wondering, have times when you go around and they go, actually, I don't really want to have sex. I just want to have a cup of tea and talk to you because I like talking to you. How do you keep your romantic and personal life separate to your professional world? I suppose it's probably easy when I haven't really had much of a personal sex life over the last six or so years by choice. I mean, I feel like my my own needs in a way have been met. When it comes to sex, personally, I'm very much about sensual exploration and, and attentive touch and, and the kind of experience that brings a real presence of mind to the here and now. That That for me really enhances the sexual experience. And I think that's what's really good about the coaching that I do is that it requires much of that. It requires, particularly when you're talking about dealing with anxiety, bringing mindfulness and the attention of uh, awareness to focus, to really sort of be in the present and in the moment. So actually I find that through my work supporting women and as my work as an escort, that's that's plenty for me, you know, that really is plenty for me. And at the moment, at least, of course, my, my needs and desires will change. Um, I don't really have any particular drive or desire to explore beyond that. I really don't. I get a great amount of fulfillment emotionally and I guess physically, of course, as well um, through my work. Do you think you might, in inverted commas, sort of fall in love with one of your clients? What happens if you started having very deep feelings for somebody? So if that did start to happen, I suppose it's one of those bridges I'll have to cross when I come to it. But there has to be a, a kind of an assessment as to whether it's ethical to continue, because it really is about that. What's ethical for the client? Um, I mean, there's always going to be an element of connection and actually that's, that needs to be there for me because that forms the basis of the relationships, loosely speaking, well, is a form of relationship that I build with my clients. But if things start to get down that avenue, then it can become obviously quite messy. And then I think that's where conversation needs to be had, where it's, it's the logical approach to just kind of cease meeting and cease seeing each other. But let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's why I have to try hard to be as unlovable as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And do you see singles or do you also see couples? Yeah, I actually see both. So um, as I say, my work is is oriented around women and their needs. So when it comes to the couple arrangements, whether it's a voyeur experience or a male-male, female um, experience, whether boyfriend or husband is involved in the sexual encounter, um, all of the attention is on the wife or the girlfriend But I haven't actually, maybe it's to do with coronavirus, I don't know, but I haven't had any couples for about a year now, actually. But yeah, I mean, I do. I do meet meet couples and singles and uh, married women too. And do you tend to go on a date or do you go for dinner, breakfast? What happens? How do you meet with people? Well, sometimes I'm lucky and I get dinner and breakfast. Oh, you do sleepovers. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, so in terms of time frame, I kind of do... You know, it can range from anything from upwards, two hours and upwards. Um, overnights, I've had, I've been on holidays, weekends, you know, weekend breaks. But it really, really varies. There are some clients, I've got a couple of regular clients where we meet 
we will have a drink and all within the time frame of about three hours we basically will meet we'll have a drink and a catch-up and then you know this one particular client for example it's about exploring her sexuality it's about exploring that so it is going to be sexually oriented um, but it's not a case of turning up and going straight to bed there's still a little bit of a catch-up and a chat have a little drink get nice and relaxed and then just kind of take things from there um, and then there are arrangements um, where I go for dinner and it's about the whole encounter in, in you know it's about the company as well as the sexual encounter so um, it will be dinner drinks and then maybe spending the night together and then as I say there's times where I've been on holiday where it's basically about I guess being a travel companion so it really really varies or coaching so interestingly where an awareness of the the coaching work that I do is still quite limited um, a lot, as I'm sure you may know through potentially for your experiences the people you meet they don't necessarily know that the hands-on approach is is something that's possible I do actually get a lot of women contact me through my escorting website that are looking to meet an escort but actually they require the coaching so that's quite interesting so yeah, obviously it tends to be varied, but they contact me thinking they want to meet an escort and then after chatting to them, establishing actually it's the coaching aspect that they require. So it kind of transitions over to that. Um, and what do you think people learn from you through your coaching? Well, first of all, um, what I help them do is overcome any fear or anxiety around intimacy, um, which in part of that is about becoming comfortable with their own bodies, becoming comfortable and exploring their sexuality. It's also about developing skills. So as well as helping them begin to develop sexual skills, um, solo sexual skills, if you like, um, learning to masturbate, learning how to touch themselves, um, learning to explore their bodies. It's also about partnered pleasure skills. So how to be with a man. Learning partnered pleasure skills is actually often the main reason that my coaching clients come to me. But then actually through a period of consultation, realize there's much more to explore. And as I say, part of that process is giving them homework and, a, and a, a range of tools that will help them to continue to explore, continue to uh, expand their knowledge and understanding of their own bodies and their own sexuality in between times. Do your friends and family know what you do? Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, which is very rare, obviously. I think I, was, I must have been working for nearly two years and I decided that you know, once I was making a living out of it, um, I decided that I wanted to just be open about it and, and actually it was very well received. My mum was a bit uncertain at first and then I explained what it was and how it worked and the fact that I was really enjoying it and it's what I wanted to do. And my dad was kind of, you know, just as, well, he was actually a little bit more embracing of it, I think because, uh, you know, we kind of lacked a bit of connection at, at times and I think he just was really interested in finding out about it and, and what I got out of it and how, how it worked. And, you know, I'm, I'm very open about what I do. I'm very proud of what I do. And, and I think as I continue moving ever more towards the coaching path, I don't see any reason to keep it a secret. Um, most of my family know. And I think as as I start to kind of continue my momentum down the path of, of supporting women as much as I possibly can, I think that I don't, you know, that will continue, I think. Probably won't tell my nan, though. <laughs> sure about that. No, don't tell your nan. Uh, what skills have you had to learn? I mean... I guess you've had to learn to be a good lover. You've had to learn to be a good listener. What, what skills do you feel you've had to learn in order to be an escort and a coach? I would say I was an attentive lover before I started working as an escort and really started driving down this, down this path. But I spent much more time studying sexuality and trying to understand, understand women's bodies and trying to understand women's experiences once I'd started doing that work. And... I think the presence of mind thing has been a really, really powerful 
thing because I've I've had to learn a way of teaching that and I think that when you have to teach certain skills it gives you an opportunity to kind of review how much you know where you can improve and how you might how you might then kind of frame that to teach that to someone else and and I've come I've very quickly come to establish actually that communication is one of the cornerstones of, of a healthy sexual encounter so spending time trying to understand how communication works in in relation to sexual dynamics and and actually recently i was on a workshop um called the wheel of consent by betty martin i don't know if you've ever heard of that mm. the, the framework is essentially about teacher teaching the different dynamics of giving and receiving and we quite often view giving and receiving through a in regards to touch it's through the toucher and the receiver or or the toucher and the person being touched and it's quite often would be perceived that the person touching is the giver and the person receiving or the person being touched is receiving but actually what the framework does is it helps you understand um the different dynamics of giving and receiving and of course if i for example was touching because i wanted to touch someone that's for me rather than it being for the person i'm touching and it's been a really really eye-opening experience and even in such a short space of time a five-day workshop actually what it did is it, it clearly outlined for me a number of areas that i want to add add to my offering already and it's going to continue to inform my work um so i, th- I think that it's one of those things sometimes they say that you don't know what you don't know and i think the more i learn about sexuality the more and the more i learn about women's experiences the more i realize that there's much more work to be done not just in terms of supporting women but of course developing myself and that is also an ongoing process and a lot of women have fears and about dating do you do you find they've been quite damaged yeah so um there could be anything in terms of fear or anxiety around sex which could actually be to do with something like a conditions such as vaginismus um, where actually having penetrative sex is particularly challenging it could be that they um, are fearful of sex because they've been in a past abusive relationship and actually that evokes uh, emotions that um, of abuse related to sex it could be I mean, it's not always trauma, of course. It could just be a case of somebody being brought up in a quite conservative background where, you know, being born into a religious family means that their capacity to explore their sexuality is very limited. And then they find that later in life, um, when they kind of step away from that, that, you know, they kind of sometimes they say that they feel like they've got catching up to do. But the point is, is they want to explore their sexuality and take back control of their sex lives. And I really think that broadly speaking, it's about taking back control. That's what they're looking for. They're looking to take back control and become empowered and and just really get access to the sex lives that they really deserve and that they long for. So if someone's looking to hire an escort, where should they go? So there's two websites that I'm present on, the Male Escort Agency and Gentleman for Hire. So yeah, start there. (laughs) Okay. How does a woman know they can trust the escorts? Obviously, for a lot of women, this is a whole new world. Yes. And that's actually a very, very, very important question. So I guess the first port of call is to check the reviews escorts do have reviews or at least on the on the websites that i'm on do have reviews one good thing to do i guess is you can also scroll back to see how far back the reviews go because if the escort's been on there for a number of years of course that alludes to the amount of experience but also every client will approach things differently as will every escort but for me what has always been very very important is to be able to provide an opportunity to build a bit of a rapport 
So this not only enables me to get a bit of a picture of the client and understand what they might be looking for and how I might be able to fulfill that need or not. Maybe maybe that's something that I don't feel like I'm equipped to do. Um, but also they can get a bit of a feel for me and and start to start that process of gradually becoming more comfortable with the idea of meeting, which of course is, you know, that's really, really important. Do you find some people are asking you for quite extreme? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I so want to know what they're asking. Oh, yeah, there's some stuff out there. What do people ask for? I had a, quite an extreme fetish. It was like a, do you know what a scat is? No. Right, scat is a sexual fetish involving feces, basically. Um, and the fetish was, right, well, I thought when I actually heard about this uh, this request, I was quite excited. So what I actually, the request was framed as was, I would like to pay you to feed me and I thought brilliant this is this is brilliant and I could probably even yes. eat some food there too surely yeah. that's enough I know where you're going with this so I thought I'd get paid to feed someone but it wasn't actual food they basically wanted me to poo in their mouth and oh but, but you, it, this gets even better right because <laughs> well it, in a way it gets even better then when I kind of respectfully declined said no it's not really my thing I you know I'm gonna have to decline that interestingly the offer went from okay how about a foot massage that's so funny and i just thought why didn't you start there did you say bit of advice that was completely the wrong way around to do it well because obviously then i was thinking what well, it's going to start with a foot massage and then it's going to i'm going to be coerced into or at least i'm going to be like oh well, how about this now and how about this and then i thought well, now i just i'm out <laughs> I'm out. Other times you go on a date. I mean, how do you find everyone attractive? Because not everybody is attractive to everybody. No, that's true. Yes, yeah, absolutely true. I think it's about there is much, and this will sound like a cliche, but it is true. There's obviously much more to attraction than physical attraction. And again, this is part of the building a rapport situation. I can get a bit of a feel if there's somebody that I'm going to want to spend time with, or you know, going to be able to have a conversation with. Um, I know it's not all about the conversation, but it really is a fundamental place to start. If you're able to sit down and have a conversation with someone, then, you know, that, that really is a, an imperative precursor, I think. And it also plays an important part in enabling me to help um, a prospective client relax. Um, and, you know, in, in building that rapport and getting to know them, I think you, you have to try and find some common ground. And that's something that you do before meeting for me anyway, my, in my approach. Um, and if there really is nothing and we're really struggling to hit it off, then that's when I have to just kind of be honest and just say, I don't really think that this this is going to work. I don't think that I'm actually the best the best escort for you. It's been great to talk to you today, Sebastian. So where, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me as an escort on the Mail Escort Agency or Gentleman for Hire. And for my uh, coaching, you can find me at pleasuremap.co.uk. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really interesting. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. I think talking Sebastian has been brilliant and I want to run my colours up the flag post, up the mast and say anything that helps women feel empowered about themselves, about their bodies, about their desire, about how to have great sex, about the experience of having great sex with a man like Sebastian, like another escort who has actually spent a lot of time thinking about women's bodies who have trained in erotic touch brilliant 
I think it's just brilliant. And I think if women want to have that experience, they should definitely go for it. The parts that would make me feel slightly nervous, um, not nervous, but I think women get attached. I'm old fashioned. I think they get attached to men that they have these relationships and sex with. And I think if you're seeing someone three times a month and you are having the most fabulous experience with them, my fear would be that you would start getting attached to this person. And that becomes tricky because this isn't about romance and this isn't about love. It's about a different form of relationship. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Later Data. Please subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts to hear the next instalment of where my Later Data adventures take me. And if you've enjoyed this, please rate or leave a lovely review. And if you want to find me online, it's easy and not that easy, but I'm at lucylovecoach.co.uk. And while you're there, please follow Aura Studios on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. See you next time. Later, daters. Mm-hmm.